the intro again. <laughs> don't, don't, please don't. You really gonna do this? Yeah, f- him. It's our show. We do what we want. Oh my God, no! Not another freaking wrestling podcast. Yay! Like I said, I don't get people watching. So either you love me or you don't. I love you. I love you too. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode. Shut the of not fuck a- up, JD. Welcome to another episode of Not Another Freaking Wrestling Podcast. I'm your host, Will. Woo! I'm over here about to piss myself at that fucking bulldozing job. I'm Jake. And I'm just high. <laughs> <laughs> Least he's honest, ladies and gentlemen. And I'm last. What the fuck is happening here? What is happening? Quicker to the punch, slowpoke. I was in the intro. That's twice. Not, not fast enough, big dog. And we quicker on them Juns there, quick draw. See, so, this, uh, this is the stick, bud. This is what's going to happen. You don't know when it's going to happen. That's the. That's it. Like a good money to make cash in, boss. Well, I think he has a pretty good idea of when it's when it's going to happen. I, I I feel like I figured that part out. It's the whole preventing it. Anyway, uh, so normally here at Non-Other Freaking Wrestling Podcast, we're talking about what the name implies, wrestling. But as you all know, we like to dip our feet into the pop culture realm occasionally. And this week, we're going to be talking about the new hit HBO show, The Last of Us. Whoa, 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 whoa. We're not talking about wrestling this, this time. No. No, we told no. you this. Okay. Hold on. Actually, I've got somebody for this. I'm going to tag out. I'm a babe in the woods when it comes to this thing. I know fuck all about Last of Us. So I'm going to tag out. Hello. <laughs> oh, hey, Katie. John, how are you doing? Tag team partner. I'm good. How are you? Welcome to the show. Introduce yourself to our audience. Hi, I'm Katie. And um, give me wrestling, woman. Okay, I'm also Kat Von Frankenstein. I'm Jake's manager. Oh my God, world oh, renowned no. Kat you? Von Frankenstein. <laughs> All right, uh, what are we talking about? The Last of Us this week. Uh, it's a uh, the new hit HBO show. Uh, it's broken a couple of records from them by now already. Um, amazing show. Uh, based on the hit PlayStation 3 game uh, of the same name, uh, released in 2013. Uh, personally, one of my favorite games of all time. Probably my favorite. So let's go around the uh, the table here and discuss our relationship with the source material. Katie, since you're new to the podcast, we'll let you go first. Okay. Um, I played it when it first came out, and I've probably played it multiple times every year. Um, I've only done a playthrough once for the second one and i've been meaning to get to that one um so i've probably delved pretty deep in last of us i am about the same i played it back when it first came out i was insanely hyped up for it from that initial e3 announcement and i've played through it a couple times on ps3 i played the ps4 remake and i played about a made i don't think even a quarter of last of us two and then just haven't gotten around to going back to it yeah i usually i played it on the ps3 
three and four. Um, I got partway through the second one, and then I ended up getting rid of my um, PlayStation because I was getting PlayStation 5. So I never really finished it. Um, but I'll probably re-download it again and, and play it. Uh, personally, uh, I played the first one in 2013 when it was released. Quit when I got to the museum because it got too hard and I couldn't get past the clickers. Came back to it after about six months and finally got past them. And finished the game and it was like the most amazing game I ever played. I used to look for uh, merch on the last of us day every year. Uh, and then finally when part two was announced, I played through that twice. And I can tell you at the end of the game, on, my, on both playthroughs, I think I sat and sobbed for like 45 minutes. It just hit me that hard. Uh, so, like, very deep relationship with both these games. Yeah, um, that game really has a, a way, it, even in the show, like, I knew what was going to happen that first episode. And the way it was done from the game to, to television, it was the most wholesome, beautiful, tragic shit that I've seen. So let's, I'm glad you said that. Let's dive right into the first episode because the, uh, the the show took some steps to set it apart, set itself apart from the video game. First of all, that scene is set in '68 at the talk show with John Hanna uh, predicting the pandemic. First of all, I fucking love John Hanna. That is one of my favorite actors. That dude is just fantastic and everything. And then he was rapturous in the scene. Like, I was just hanging on his every word. Like, if I'd have been that television audience, I'd have been like them. I'd have been like, oh, my God, this is going to happen. But what I really loved about this was <clears throat> he wasn't just telling you what could happen. He was telling you what you were about to see in the upcoming scenes you are about to watch of this show. Yeah, and I think they also established, like, there's so much information in that one scene about the direction they're taking the show, I think. And I think there's there was just a lot of foreshadowing in that one scene alone. It was, yeah. it was really good. I've been liking how they've been doing these little like cold opens to the very beginning. But I definitely thought that was possibly one of the best ways to start the show versus instead of just here is the world just framing it out of if this were to happen in real life this is how it would go and this is how scarily close we are to something like this actually happening yeah. in and the that's real world what, that's what the scary part is is this is something that could happen yeah i've always maintained sorry shane go ahead no go ahead I was going to say, I've always maintained that Last of Us definitely presented us with one of the most viable zombie apocalypses I've ever seen in like, well, it's inaccurate to call them zombies, but one of a more viable zombie apocalypse than I've seen in other movies. Yeah, I think one thing that like really freaked me out about this scene was that like, he's like, but what if the planet were to get a few degrees warmer? And it's like, oh shit, that's happening. And then when you start thinking about it, like, that's, 
it's like a viable like I I, I got done watching that episode and I, I started googling could cordyceps infect humans? <laughs> oh, that was me when the game first came out back in 2013 <laughs> because I was like, hey, this is a a different take on the subgenre. How viable is this? Oh, you mean this Pretty is a viable. real thing that actually already exists in the world? And then all it takes for things to adapt and evolve is slot temperature changes. So that's totally viable. Another thing, I've not done research on this, but this is just something I encountered myself um, during COVID. Um, my dad had to go get a COVID test and they did his temperature. And I've had my temperature tested before too. And both of us run about 97 degrees, which I, I used to think humans run about 98 degrees. But the nurse was like, oh yeah, human, like we've had a lot of people like starting to trend lower in temperature. And that's like the premise of the fungi infection is it's surviving in our bodies and our temperature is not keeping it out anymore. Well, fungus is really the hardest thing for the human body to kill anyways. Yeah. And I like what they did with the part of it and it, if you watch the behind the scenes stuff and they kind of explained in this first episode, you know, where the change from the game is it was spores, but we really couldn't make that actually make sense because it you're breathing it all in the air. Yeah. And it get yeah. on your clothes, your hair, like we'd yeah. be screwed if it was spores. Like, and not only that, I don't want to watch another show of Pedro Pascal covering his face. No, I, that is honestly the only change that I understand why they did it, but I really wish they hadn't have solely because there's a lot of really dope moments in the game Yeah, that the whole crux of those moments is based around the spores. But and you LAB forgot about the, one of the biggest changes that they've made in this show, which could make up for that moment, is where... They were like, don't touch that, because if you touch that, it'll alert everybody else. It's got a hive mind. Yeah, it's yeah. a hive mind. And that actually, they said that actually happens in the forest. Yeah. That the that? fungus does that. Well, they form, like, they get in the ground and they form, like, communication. Like, fungi are actually, like, very scarily intelligent. And they kind of form this economy in relation to other things in the forest, like the trees and... Sometimes there's some fungi that deliver nutrients to a tree and it's kind of like an economy ex exchange. So they, they form like these massive units under the ground and just there's all kinds of different varieties of fungi. I feel like that'll play. a. Ma I mean, it already did play a major part in the story. So I feel like they could replace those moments in the game with that kind of type of excitement. The main thing I think of is the bit, it's like third act of the game whenever uh, Ellie has to go into some big building because there's spores everywhere and Joel's gas mask is fucked up. So he can't go in. Oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. And that's one of my favorite parts of the game. So I'm a little bummed that we won't get that, but I'm sure they'll find some way to rework it. Yeah. Also that moment in the, the second game where Ellie's mask gets damaged. Oh yeah, and Dina finds out. He was like actually... freaking out, like, "Oh my God, we'll yeah. share our mask." Yeah, uh, they'll have to find some way to make up those moments, but I think I'm based on what we've seen so far. I'm pretty confident they'll be able to. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the the uh, 
the 2000, I guess, three in this in this uh, world, 2003 uh, scenes uh, with Nico Parker playing uh, Sarah. First of all, fantastic casting. Nico Parker was just great in this role and brought a lot of emotional weight to it. Yeah, she was phenomenal as Sarah. Yeah. Which also the guy they got to play Tommy is like a spitting image. Yes. Gabriel Luna is one of my like uh low key favorite guys from like Marvel. He played uh, Robbie Reyes Ghost Rider in Agents of Shield and was just phenomenal. So I'm really glad to see him getting more roles. That is the most underrated Ghost Rider. Yes, yes it is. That Dodge that. Charger looks sweet. Yeah. And he had a better reason for accepting the Ghost Rider in the first place. That's, well, he that's technically good. wasn't even... He sort of wasn't even a Ghost Rider. No, not really. Because he didn't have the same spirit. He just had yeah. a spirit. That yeah, was his wasn't the spirit of vengeance. Oh, that sounds really cool. I'm going to have to go back and watch this. Uh, well, it's not... It, it, it doesn't play out like that in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. But like... uh if you read some of the comic, his comic series, it's it's pretty phenomenal. He was a okay. great ghostwriter. Um, anyway, Tommy, that that was great casting. I thought um, the uh, if you notice throughout this uh, first episode, anytime there's a moment where they could have had flour, they did not. Joel yeah. forgot the pancake mix. Joel yeah. forgot the cake. I. Uh, they didn't accept the biscuits from their neighbors. Anytime there was flour, they did not accept it, which was kind of picked up on in, what was that, episode two mm-hmm. with the Jakarta scene? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I like how they're, and, and they mentioned Jakarta in this first episode, which yeah, was the first the first moment I, that Sarah kind of got to shine on the screen when she uh, kind of took her dad or uncle to task for not knowing where Jakarta was. Mm-hmm. Also, I like was, I looked uh, it up, Jakarta is apparently one of the biggest distributors of flour. Yes. In the world. Uh, Also, um, what I love about these scenes is they did a very good job of showing and not telling. Uh, Showing that Sarah's kind of parenting Joel as much as Joel was parenting Sarah. Just by giving you little things in the background, like she's cooking breakfast. Uh, She's the one that went guys watch fix because he wasn't going to do it for himself anyway. Mm -hmm. Uh, They did a really good job with that. Yeah. Instead of doing like an exposition dump yeah. where you get all that information. I, I like that a lot better. I, I hate when shows go on the exposition dump and have explain everything to you like you're a baby and you can't pick up on things or subtleties and things like that. Yep. I think that's the best thing about these guys is they're very good at giving you a visual. Yeah. So you don't need the clues to see it. You don't have to be fed information. Yeah, kind of like, why is Joel capable of surviving? They zoom in on that scene where, like, oh, he's a Desert Storm veteran, so he's capable with guns, yep. things like that. Yeah, that was a, that was a very uh, slick scene right there. A little slick shot they put in there. I, was, I like that. Um, as Sarah went throughout her day, you saw signs all around of society crumbling, sirens all around. Um, they just you'd hear snippets of the news in the background about violence somewhere. Uh, well, so they did a really good job of world building around the main character without having to say anything. This kind of 
the way they're telling the story kind of reminded me of the first season of Walking Dead. They were really good in the beginning of telling you the story without feeding you the information. First of all, there were more seasons of The Walking Dead. <laughs> You're right, there was. And um, the end one sucked. So, like, I just thought that was a six-episode miniseries. I agree with you, J.D. <laughs> yeah, it, it pretty much was. <laughs> well, it was like they should have stuck to lesser episodes and more budget. And then they went the route of, we're going to do more episodes and less budget. Well, it had one of the greatest fucking quotes ever of, because uh, they gave them a smaller budget for the second season. And they just said, what if instead of seeing zombies, you just hear them? Yeah. <laughs> so we don't have to spend all that money on makeup and extras. I was oh, a zombie makeup. in the second season of The Walking Dead. Oh, you were? Yeah, in The Horde. Oh, in the yeah. first episode. I wanted to do that so bad. Like, I wanted to, like, go and, like, be either a dead body or a, They or came a into a casting call at Fort Benning, and I was happy to be in the Army at the time. Yeah, there's a there's a handful of other people that we went to college with that were Zambos in Walking Dead. I also did a uh, day uh, working on set. Uh, I don't remember what season, but it was just, like, passing out waters to the actors and stuff. Uh, Chris got me the job. There was a time where you could go to Atlanta and pretty easily get on and be an extra in like a, a Marvel movie. Yeah. But um, anyway, sorry, we got sidetracked a little bit there. Sorry about but that. Yeah, like well, you my, said. My it, point is, is they did a, did a very good job of giving us clues that something was awry or something was going wrong, especially when she was like, hey, what's going on in the news? And then the lady coming in from the, the watchmaker's wife, I guess, Come in, hey, we gotta go, gotta go. Yeah, like, close the shop. You need to also, go home. There's also a great attention to detail because, um, from what I've read, like they were speaking accurate Arabic in that scene. They were. Yeah. So, the uh, when society breaks down, the uh, scene where Sarah goes over to her neighbor's house. First of all, before I get there, sorry, I'm skipping this. I love how they explained why Joel was gone. By him having to go get Tommy out of jail instead of him just being gone in the middle of the night for no fucking reason. Yeah. Cause that's game. Because they never really address that in the game. The game, he just shows back up conveniently to continue yep. advancing the plot. I, I just but, assumed he heard commotion and left and checked it out and it was not good. Yeah, Wait. but I, I like how they gave him a reason for being gone in the game. Yeah. In the show. Um, can we like talk about how to, to write these little story details that everybody notices giving a, a whole new perspective on everything. Yeah. So can we talk about how after they leave the house, it basically just becomes a one for one recreation of the game when they're riding. That's what the I was car. about to bring up. Like the point that, of that view and everything. Yes. Even down to how the camera turns to look at the burning house, I yeah. was like losing I'm not my gonna mind at I'm that. I'm not going to lie. So, like, I cried several times during this show just because it was, like, the emotion of seeing something I love so much come to life. And that was one of those scenes where I, like, I, I like, just a silent tear dripped down my cheeks. I was like, this is, this is perfect. Even, even the signs were accurate with the Texas and everything. Like, mm -hmm. it was great. And I, I think, was... so. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, go ahead. 
I think what the game did great is it did a, such a great job of putting you in that position of thinking like, oh my God, what would I do? I drove past these people. I left these people that have a kid. My neighbor's house is on fire. Like it did such a great job of putting you in that frame of thought of how would you feel if that was happening? Yeah, that, that was great. Cause it was the, the scene there was shot for shot. Uh, the dialogue matched up perfectly. Um, it, it was just, it was gorgeous. Even now, when they got into town, that whole thing was almost one for one. That whole I scene. did enjoy how they changed that scene, though, with the airplane being the cause. Because, like, you didn't, because when you went through the intersection, like, I was like, oh, yeah, here comes, they're getting T boned. And then they made it through the intersection. I was like, oh, strange. And then the airplane crashed behind them. And I was like, oh, okay. Y'all are fucking with me. Cool. It's. Mm. Fucking, uh, that was the best fucking opening to a. And granted, I mean it's an adaptation, so it's a little bit easier to kind of stick the landing for something like that. But that not was just as the- an adaptation, though. It's an adaptation of a game that was meant to look like a big budget show, anyway. Yeah, and they nailed it to a T. Because th- I like that they at least three episodes in, they know what moments matter the most. And like, these are the ones that we need to do one for one from the game. And here's where we have a bit more created liberty. So that uh, scene with Sarah dying, I, I, I walked into it thinking, I've seen this probably 10 to 12 times. Not like, gonna I'm be a big strong, deal man. Again. I can go in this and man, not. <laughs> I bawled. I bawled like a baby watching that shit. I was like, Mike, it hit me harder than it hit me watching it playing the game, and I did not expect that. Honestly, same. I like playing the game. I was like, oh man, this is sad, but I didn't tear up. But the show got me to tear up for that, even though I knew it was coming. I had to say pretty much the same reaction from him. You know, in the game, it's like, oh shit, that that's kind of fucked up the way to start the game. Like, and then watching it, I think what really got me was watching her do all these things throughout the day. Watching her live. Yeah. Yeah. Because we don't really get to see her that much in the beginning of the game. Not like like 20 minutes. Yeah. But we got to watch her go to school, do this, cook breakfast, fix the Go hang out with the neighbors. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what really got me. Is like because yeah. now I have a, a very deeper a deeper connection with her now than I did before. And also, you get to see how integral she is to Joel's life, like how important she was to him, even if day to day maybe they didn't realize how important. I mean, I'm sure he realized how important she is. She's his daughter, but like how integral and involved they were in each other's lives, and and then it's just gone. So the flash forward to 20 years later, uh, we got the little boy. Showing up outside of the uh, the QZ, and um, I, I love this scene. It was really good. Uh, it showed that Fedra isn't all bad, yeah. which I think is something the game didn't do. Uh, the game just made Fedra these like black. I mean, they were just black and white bad guys, and uh, the show here just kind of showed that hey, these people aren't all bad. They're just trying to do their best to make society keep chugging along. Yeah, I. I like that because I'm a, I personally kind of hate whenever like the good guy and the bad guy is very clear cut. I like when everything is just 
a thousand shades different of shades of gray yeah. when you got 50 shades of gray. And that's very human. Like humans are not perfect. They're not all going to be perfect on all sides. But it, and I'm hoping we'll get a little bit more of that expanded, which I do know they already said that this first season is going to touch on the Left Behind DLC, which I never actually played. Oh, you missed out. I know. Like, I know. That Left Behind DLC was the best part of that first game. I've heard everything story-wise that happens in it, but I just never bought it when it first came out. And then when I played the PS4 version, I was like, oh, yeah, I'll play this once I beat it. And then something else had come out as soon as I finished it, so I just never went back to it. So we got the um, the Anatorv introduction of Tess, spot-on uh, casting, by the way. I love her. Uh, love her in this role. Uh, and um, I love the way they kind of introduced her and Joel's relationship right away. Mm-hmm. With um, her being more of the, uh, I mean, they kind of just showed it. She couldn't throw the, that little boy's body in the fire. And Joel just kind of, he's empty inside, so he didn't give a fuck. Good that was great. Did you read the backstory they had actually done? They were going to do a backstory for Tess and they were going to film it, but they didn't. Oh, really? Yeah, I think her backstory was like she had to kill her husband. And she had a son that was bit and inf- or infected and she couldn't kill him. And she locked him in the basement and left him. And apparently he's supposed to still be there as a clicker. Ooh. Uh, yeah. Ooh. That's gonna... That would be fun to touch up on later in the show. Yeah. I kind of hope they do. I, I heard they kind of probably decided not to go that route. But I, I do hope they kind of touch up on it somewhere. So it's definitely um, extremely bleak. And that's what I'm here for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love this scene too with Tess uh, being interrogated. Yeah, uh, that was that was really good. Show what kind of person she was, uh, and I enjoyed that it wasn't the stupid shit we got from the game where they tortured him. Yeah, I, I feel like that made it hard to like Joel at that point. Yeah, at least for and that, that's. Show. I've been hearing people say, oh, I wish they do um, Joel's time when he was like a, a raider or like, a, you know, a, out there with Tommy surviving. But I was like, people are going to hate Joel if they do that. I don't want to see, see that okay. because I feel like I, I don't want to see that because I feel like you're you see Joel telling that story in the present is better than seeing it. I agree. With his I actions think, and the way he is now. I would rather see show it. I would, I think it would be good if they did small flashback scenes, like that's to where, build towards a story. Yeah, to build that's where a lot of tension. Where he's awesome. like, "Hey, I used to be kind of a fuck boy," <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> um. Moving right along, uh, the um. The introduction of Ellie was great. I like that it wasn't just so, um, hey, here's this contrived reason for you to take this child across the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and her being alone at first and getting to introduce her without Joel, so she wasn't just tied to him immediately, was good. You got kind of a breathing, some breathing room for Ellie. Once again, uh, it was still good storytelling. With her yeah, production. 
I love Marlene being cast as Marlene too. Yeah, like, that's the voice actress. Tried out for the voice of uh, her in the game. No, she she was the voice. She was the voice of Marlene. Yeah, she said she tried out. I watched. No, she, she, yeah, she voiced Marlene in the game. So it, it's pretty cool. Like apparently, she just as she's gotten older and she kind of looks more like Marlene was designed. So they were able to cast her. I think that's pretty awesome. Whereas that's, you could have gotten Troy Baker, Ashley Johnson, so that's pretty sick. Yeah, uh, that was like she's the only person who was a one-to-one crossover. Also, can we talk about like how much Ellie shines through Bella? Like, there's so many moments where you just you see Ellie. There was so much backlash to that casting, and it was just so unfounded. I don't usually get when you backlash like that, there it's unfounded. Bella Ramsey's just so great. Yeah, I, I don't understand her, why anyone was upset and, uh, about it. Yeah, Look, she looks like Ellie. If you've seen her on Game of Thrones, you know she's got that level of snark like Ellie. Yeah. I think um, it's perfect casting. So the end of this episode, when they uh they're sneaking out of the QZ, uh my this was my favorite moment in the episode was when they finally got out and Ellie pops and goes, holy shit, this is what it's like outside? Now get the fuck down. <laughs> that shit was fantastic. Like It was just such good, like, well-placed comedy. Yeah. It was a good moment, too, because can you imagine, like, never being outside of this one area and then all of a sudden you're outside and you see all this stuff? Like, I'd probably do the same thing. But I think that's also the beauty of her character mm-hmm. in the game as well because she does the same thing. Yeah. She's so excited about everything. And she's like so innocent. Yeah. She's still not like that wonder. Cool. But then you have Joel who's seen what it's like out here, knows how to survive it. Like, slow the fuck down. Yeah. So I also love the fact that when they were caught, they were caught by the Fedger guy who he had sold drugs to earlier. So you already had a connection to him. And the moment where Joel like goes after him when he's shining the gun, you know, pointing the gun at him, the flashlight shining at him. I love that they showed kind of the PTSD at that moment. So you understood why it was happening and it wasn't just like a oh, he just beat him up to protect protect Ellie. That wasn't what he was doing. Yeah. That was him retroactively protecting his daughter. And also probably like He's probably got a lot of anger towards the person that killed his daughter. Probably got a lot of anger towards anyone pointing a gun at him like that. True. Very true. (laughs) I mean, you see a little bit of that in the third episode, which we'll get to a little bit later. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, So let's jump ahead now to the second episode uh, where we're getting out of town. Uh, The museum scene. Beautiful. Like, straight out of the game. The clickers look great. Yeah, I'm glad they went with practical effects instead of CGI. Yes, I was, me really, too. I was really worried that they were going to get real CGI heavy with it. Because mm-hmm. I was yeah. like, there are cosplayers out there making excellent clicker masks out of great stuff. Please, please put in the effort. Like the, the, the practical effects made a huge difference, I feel like, for these. Yeah. Um, I'm jumping ahead, though. Uh, we got the the scene we talked about earlier with the uh, the network underneath the ground, and I uh, get to see the uh, 
What we can't call them zombies. The infected, I guess, flopping back and forth. We're still yeah. living host. Um, they actually did some. There's actually some recent research that came out about the cordyceps with the ants, and it actually does keep the host alive until it gets the host where it wants to, it to where be. it needs to go and grows. Yeah. yeah, and apparently, like it still feels pain in all the things associated with that. Um, so, yeah. and and then. Joel, this might be jumping ahead a little bit, but Joel does mention that like they live for maybe two to three years, and let, and then there's some that live for twenty, and they become clickers. Yeah, the the twenty year ones, uh, like the Rat King, but we're jumping yeah. way ahead there. <laughs> um, sorry, Shane, you were about to say something. Oh, I like. Uh, it was one of my favorite scenes too. Was when they went in the water and they were in there and she falls over and just like in the game with the skeleton and shit, like it's, it's moments like that, like transition very well. Yeah. I love how they made a joke about the game too, where she's like, I can't swim. And they're like, it's like waist deep. <laughs> that was fucking great. Are we going to get an appearance of the palette at some point? Oh my God. I hope so. <laughs> if we don't, I'm, I've, want there to at least be a joke about it or an attempt them to just be like that sounds tedious as fuck yeah maybe have a moment <laughs> where she's like what about that palette over there no <laughs> um yeah that that little scene in the hotel there that was pretty cool uh like how they, and it looked just like we saw in the game too yeah um Walking across the plank, that was cool as hell, too. Yeah. That, that was, like, straight out of the game. That that was a cool well, scene. And their little conversation when they're up on the rooftop, or that may have been the end of the first episode. The No, oh, you're right. Is, is, no, it yeah. every, is it everything you thought it would be? Because I saw someone posted a side-by-side -side of that scene and the clip from the game, and it was... Like framing placement and everything was one hundred percent. Yeah. Um. So in the museum, getting back to that, um, I like that Joel wasn't a good shot. Like he's yeah. under pressure, and uh, it's more realistic, first of all, and it's more like the game too, because like the mechanics of shooting in the game kind of sucked. Yeah. Uh, it, it like you couldn't keep a steady aim or anything. It was not, like, perfect. So, uh, I like how they made it look more realistic. Yeah. Um, that, uh... I think Last of Us is one of the only games that I ever play fucking stealthy as fuck. Because the shooting, at some points, is so bad. Terrible. And it's, Probably like... the Molotovs are a godsend. It, that one level in that museum where you had to sneak around up there and shit... That took me hours. That's the level I quit on and came back after like two or three months or six that, months, something like that. Like it first takes, it takes like several, like, it takes several times dying to figure out like the perfect way to go about it. And even then, like, you, you, you'll, you might still fuck up. <laughs> so, um, Ellie got bit again in the museum. Obviously, Tess got bit. We know about that. Or, well, 
we don't know about that yet as an audience. If you've always played the games, You're like, it's you have an idea of what's coming. Uh, so they dispatch the clickers and they uh, head out towards the capital. I like that it wasn't Fedra that were the enemy at the capital because that doesn't make any sense. Didn't yeah, make any sense in the game. Fedra should not have been out that far. They were supposed to be maintaining their QZ, not at the capital. Yeah. Uh, so them turning on someone who's infected, infected, and then the whole group turning on each other, that worked a lot better. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I honestly wish we could have gotten to see that play out just because I think that would have been a fun scene, but it's also one of those things that there's really no reason to see that. Yeah. And I appreciate the self-awareness of the people making the show and, and ha having the creators of the game heavily involved um, to being like... Well, Druckmann actually directed this episode. Oh, he did? Okay. Yeah, Druckmann directed episode two. I like that they are making changes that make sense story narrative wise. Um, the uh, the moment here where they activate the network and everything comes after them, but where Tess is sitting there clicking the lighter and it won't light, the tension building here is fantastic. Mm -hmm. And then the kiss. Oh, that was nasty! Oh my god! But they kind of like prelude to that in episode one because Tess makes a comment about being unlucky and then she hits the lighter it's not lighting and finally it does but it's already too late for her no. yeah because, so but you know those those mouth tendrils though that shit looks wicked but what Druckmann said in the podcast of episode two was that uh, what he was exploring in that scene was what if we didn't fight back? What if not fight? We didn't fight back against the infected and we just let them. Yeah. Cause that uh, would do been their easy thing that, that way. Cause like he said, they didn't need to be violent if you were just letting them do what they wanted to do. Mm -hmm. So like, I, I kind of appreciate that storytelling too, because it's a good question. Why are they violent? Well, they're violent because they won't let us infect them. I honestly thought that they were going to kind of flip the script a little bit and she wasn't going to be able to get the lighter to go and her sacrifice was going to be in vain. I would have hated that, honestly. <laughs> I would have loved that. Because not, uh, every, not everything works out perfectly like that. And That's that would have been dope. Like sometimes people die in vain. Like, I don't know if y'all have seen that uh, Skull Island King Kong movie, but yeah. it's one of the funniest fucking scenes in the whole movie. But there's this one soldier that's like, everybody run. I'm going to pull the pins on all these grenades on my vest and sacrifice myself to kill this giant dinosaur because he'll eat me. And he pulls all the pins and then the dinosaur sees that and just smacks him with his tail into the side of a mountain and he blows up over there. <laughs> but like they do the whole like dramatic strings the zoom in like the come on fucker get me and he just gets smacked into the side of a mountain and explodes over there and it's the funniest shit oh no but i i like story beats like that where it is just really bleak because that's kind of how the world is yeah shifting episode three speaking of bleak uh this was actually 
lot less bleak than the game. Oh. Uh, I enjoyed the story of Bill and Frank was fucking beautiful. Got a little something here. It was the uh, <laughs> one of the most beautiful things I've ever watched on television. And give Offerman every fucking award you can. Oh, it was <laughs> so good. Um, he so killed. Obviously, in the game, the story's a lot different. Uh, you find Frank later. He's hung himself, and uh, he's written a note to Bill about how he can't live this life like this anymore, and there's got to be more to this than just... Well, in the, yeah. in the game, they were sneaking from place to place and sleeping in different places every night, trying to keep away from the infected. Yeah. They had, you know, that were around the town. They had the town booby trap, just like in the show, but... They yeah, but they had a lot of rougher life than they did in the show. Yeah, uh, so, like... I did enjoy the changes, though, because, like, uh, Nick Offerman, right when you see him in the start of the episode, when he's down in his, in his bunker, uh, and he comes out and he emerges and there's nobody. And just his gleeful expression as he's going around town and just shopping and setting things up, it, it's beautiful. I Nick love Offerman's that. It was a very cool. Dawn of the Dead moment when, you know, like, get in the mall and they're like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Or the scene where he's sitting there eating in the alarm trips and it oh yeah flickers that hits the booby trap and he's like, nice. <laughs> Never get tired of that. I yeah. I loved it. This was easily the best episode yet. Yeah. Uh, so like for me, the way I compare it to and no it's not like it was like just like this episode, but like have you ever guys guys ever watched the show Mythic Quest? I have not. I'm not. All right, it's uh, it's on Apple Apple TV Plus. Uh, it's a uh, Rob McElhenney vehicle. Um, but um, Mac? there's this episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From that, uh, it's always sunny. Okay. It's it's fantastic. But there's this episode that's completely disconnected from the rest. Uh, it's like the third episode where it's like, it's just this beautiful love story that's like, kind of telling some background that you don't realize it's telling background until the end of the episode. And it's just beautiful. And that's kind of the way I compare this one. Is It's just like it breaks away from everything else to give us this heartfelt, beautiful love story. And um, In the middle of a bleak, nasty, dirty world. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. I, I'm glad. The changes were good uh, because, like, first of all, LGBTQ plus representation in media has not been great. And it was not great in that game either. Uh, yeah, because it was very, like... The way it wasn't. They they kind of hit it in the game. A they hit bit. it. You had to find that that one artifact, the note. Yeah. Uh, and then it wasn't. Explicit. Well, no, because you get you get that one cutscene with Ellie. Yeah, the magazine about Bill. Oh yeah, yeah. You get the so you get the cutscene, but it's still not like completely explicit. You know, it's just yeah, kind of hinted at. And it's then you don't implied. get anything. You don't get really any other representation until Left Behind. Yeah. So, like, um, I'm glad they fixed the mistakes that the game made here. Yeah. And I think another one of my favorite scenes in this episode was the strawberries. Like, yes, it's like so fucking innocent and sweet. And it was just like, am I really like feeling these emotions right now watching this? Like, it was like, it was, go you ahead. have like something you take for granted and then. Like you get to taste this thing that you haven't got to taste in so long, and you get to taste it with someone you love, and 
And that's where foreshadowing in the show works so well. Mm-hmm. I, I love that uh, line, too, after he says, Strawberry's like, what did you trade Joel for these? It's like, I traded one of your guns. Which gun? Which gun? <laughs> that was a good comedy moment. He's like, the small Also, one. Um, the wine, the, the Beaujolais. Yes. It has notes of strawberry in it. Hmm. Did not know that. Also, like, I zoomed in. Also, like I was curious because um, the wine actually dates itself. It's 2021, and I zoomed in, mm-hmm. or I, I paused it and looked at it, and they actually got a 2002. So they oh, nice. That was 2002. Nice. One that was 2002. Hell yeah! I know HBO has uh, had a couple slip ups with things like that in the past, like the infamous think- Starbucks cup and Game of Thrones. There is like a slip up in the first episode, apparently, because Monster Ball came out after 2002 or 2003. And that's one of the DVDs that you see in the Yeah. yeah. Um, you can always get it all right, you know? Yeah, that's fair. I, going, sorry, this is a, going back to episode one, but I do love when they did the movie night that it was a call out the Last of Us Part Two. Yeah. That was fun. Um, that was the movie that Joel and Ellie watched together at the beginning of that uh, last was part two, so that was pretty cool. Or they planned to watch together before. Spoiler Thanks. alert: Joel died. Um, so this this episode though, um, there were a few moments for me that really stuck out. So after uh, Frank and Bill had gone to the room and gone to their bed, boarded themselves in, and were prepared to die. Uh, I love that when Joel and Ellie get there, when it zooms out at the end of the episode, you see the window fluttering, like yeah, the, yeah. Uh, see, yeah. the, the, menu the opening from the game. That was cool as hell. And I do love that the show took such care not to show them after. Yes, yes. I was really I glad that they didn't. Because that was like in the note that Bill wrote was that he didn't want them to go in the room. Yeah. So the show still took care to not show you them. After and they, they, they left us with those beautiful moments between the two of them like mm-hmm. we want to remember them that way not that yeah exactly I, I didn't want to see them dead after seeing them have such a beautiful story well yeah. and then the the kind of waves of grief hitting joel of bill and frank are dead and then when ellie's reading the letter and he's talking about how he wants tess. him to take all this and protect tess yeah. yeah, and She's then a, I think there's a lot of regret there for Joel because he he just he probably wasn't capable of loving her the way she wanted to be loved. And mm-hmm. that's true. Another also this beautiful moment when she she you know she's bit and she's letting Joel take care of her ankle. Like I think that was gonna she realized that's gonna be the last tender moment I get with him. And it also was a good reminder for joel to protect people yes not to make the same mistakes like that solidified him he has to get this girl to where she needs to go and it's my job to protect her at all costs and i think it does start out as a duty to test i need to carry this mission out because Tess wanted me to finish this and then it kind of morphs into like a daughter, father, a father daughter relationship. So, um, just personally, after these first three episodes, I feel like they definitely nailed the adaptation. 
and they've yep. improved upon the source material, which is very rare for Incredibly any adaptation. Incredibly rare. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's very rare for any adaptation to improve upon the source material, but even more rare for a video game adaptation to improve upon the source material. I'm still waiting on a decent Resident Evil adaptation. It's not going to happen. It's never going to happen. <laughs> no. I'm is best still holding game. out hope, and I don't care what anyone says. The Netflix show was not that bad. Oh, really? I, I couldn't bring myself to watch it. Oh, it's like, it's... <laughs> if you fucked with the what I like to describe as the golden era of Resident Evil, which is Resident Evil 5 and 6. I'm more of a the two, PlayStation 1, 2. Oh, no, those are, I'm those sorry. are the ones that Netflix. are actually good. Netflix 6 is, is just bad. Netflix has fucking burnt me too many times. They fucked me on Cowboy Bebop. Mm -hmm. Uh, They fucked me on Death Note. They fucked me on uh, fucking... What's the fucking other one? Brotherhood. They canceled Daybreak after one season. Yeah, they canceled all the good shows. And then, according to their fucking CEO, they never canceled a successful show. And you're a fucking idiot. And then they want to blame it on, like, password sharing. I mean, how do you fuck up Cowboy Bebop? Literally. How do you fuck up Death Note? Well, Cowboy Bebop was, it fucking is top ten fucking greatest animes of all time. And then also, like, it. Like, top five. Fuck me the fuck up for live action One Piece. Oh, yeah. Jake's going to fucking blow his fucking top when he sees that shit. What is it? The One Piece stuff? Yeah. I forgot about that. Oh, no. <laughs> so, uh, we're going to do these uh, reviews in three episode blocks. We did review episodes one through three. We'll do four through six, and then seven through nine after those episodes air. Um, pretty excited for tonight's episode. Looks like we're getting the Pittsburgh scenes. Uh, and we're it's getting Melanie Linsky. Brutal as fuck. I'm always happy to see Melanie Linsky on screen, on, on screen so... That'll be fun. I love um, seeing Boston in um, Last of Us because I've actually I love Boston. Boston's probably my favorite American city I've ever been to. Um, I think the museum was actually the State House. Um, oh really? Yeah. If you ever play Fallout Four, like um, the bull that owns the State House, I think that's where it's at. If I'm right. And then the the building that Tess dies in—that's the the Capitol, or the, or not the Capitol, the State. Or you can see it outside of the Commons. All right. Which is the big park. Yeah. You see that golden dome outside of the commons. So, and we, we actually walked in front of that place right there. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us in our uh, review of The Last of Us, episodes one through three. Uh, we will announce whenever we're ready to review episodes four through six. Uh, and you can check in with us then. So, how'd uh, you do? Oh, I mean, okay. Great. <laughs> Since you're here, Jake, what do they need to do? Fucking bring money. <laughs> Lots of it. <laughs>